Hello and uh, welcome to the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Korsha Fuchua and uh, it is fairly early in the morning and I'm joined again uh, by my friend and partner, Alex McNamara. Alex, good morning to you. Good morning. I am back again. It's uh, it's the Super Bowl weekend and we're doing and we're doing a show. I am, we're doing the show pre-Super Bowl, which um, is interesting for a, a, a podcast focused on marketing and advertising. So... <laughs> We planned this well. <laughs> well, let's do it. It's a it's a big one, and we actually are doing this on a weekend again because we have a a guest joining us from the other side of the Atlantic, uh, Mark Reese yes. Whedon, a frequent listener, first time caller. So he introduced himself to us. Mark is the managing partner at Gray London, um, where he leads global brands like PNG, Gillette, Nokia. Uh, prior to Gray, Mark held leadership roles at agencies like JWT, Isobar, RGA, and others. And we're really excited to have him on the show to chat about all things advertising and marketing. Uh, welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you very much. It's such a pleasure to be here. As you say, long-time listener, first-time caller. So excited to get uh, under the skin of some CMO and advertising-related insights and questions. Let's do it. Uh, Mark, <laughs> what is your conversation juice for today? My conversation. So it's uh, it's twenty to eight here in the UK, um, and as is befitting a Saturday evening, I have a, a Negroni on the go. Perfect. Cheers to that. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> any any special ingredients there, or is is this the just the classic? Well, um, only found recently that Martini has a reserva um, of the Ooh. Red Vermouth variety, and it is pretty nice. So that's oh. been going into a lot of Manhattans and Negronis over the last couple of months. Well, there you go. Adding value already. This is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, um, but just by the way of introduction, can you share a bit more about what you do at Gray um, and also maybe your path into and through advertising so we get a little bit of context? Sure, sure. Um, I think I'm one of the only people who works uh, in advertising who, who is exactly where he wanted to get. Um, as a kid growing up, advertising was the kind of thing I enjoyed most around TV. Um, I did a presentation at work recently of like the 80s ads that I remember most. Um, so I studied marketing uh, in Southampton, um, managed to get a job at a small local design and print firm, and then I spent the last crikey, 22 years um, moving around. I've spent a lot of time at digital agencies, as you mentioned, sort of Isobar, where I met uh, Alex, Glue mm-hmm. yep. um, Isobar, when, when I first started, sort of heavy on the glue, low on the Isobar, and then by the time I left, low on the glue, heavy on the Isobar. Um, and then moved across to a few other different shops for various different pieces of lengths of time. Uh, landed at RGA, where I was running um, part of the Unilever account, which was where most of my time was spent on a more integrated basis. So RGA, obviously heavily famous for their digital work, leading Nike, leading lots of different brands from a digital perspective. Mm-hmm. But the relationship we had with, um, with Unilever and in, um, on my focus was on uh, Rexona, or degree deodorant as it's known in, in the US. Um, where we did a lot of integrated work, a lot of partnerships as well. Did a great piece with Steph Curry then, um, but really got more of that integrated flavour, I guess, to my to my repertoire. Um, and from there, moved to Grey. Originally to work on sort of the digital side of the, of, of, of GSK, um, but then sort of subsequent and you know things moving around within WPP and within networks, I moved across to look after a few of the PNG clients that we've got, notably Brown or Braun, depending on which side of the Atlantic you sit on. Um, some work for Gillette and a few other brands, um, and uh, some recent new business wins that I can't quite talk about. But 
it's been um, it's been quite a journey, I guess, over. Goodness me, it's weird to say twenty two years in the industry, <laughs> um, and I think I've I've you know I've worked for big clients, I've worked for small regional clients, I've worked for most notably recently for for those global clients within the world of RGA and with, within Grey, um, and it's been a hell of a ride and a hell of a change over that period. And probably, as you said, hell of a change. The last fifteen years probably the most transformative period in in advertising, and you got you got to see through all of it. Absolutely. I was I was really lucky. I think my second job out of university was at a company down in Southampton called um, Lawton Marketing when I first started there. And the very fact it was called e-marketing sort of tells you how long ago it was. <laughs> um, they went on to become um, a company called Five by Five, and it was a it was an agency that was sort of this would be two thousand and three when I started. And I spent five years there, and it was one of those local gems that punched above its weight had really good reputation, did incredible work for sort of the gaming and the film industry, um, pioneered some incredible technology through the right mix of developers and coders who just wanted to try stuff. So it was the, I guess, you know, 2003 to 2008, a bit of a pirate ship of digital development. <laughs> you know, they were literally down the pub. I don't think you can do this. I think I can do it. I bet you a six pack you can't come in on Monday and they've cracked oh, that's it. That's awesome. Um, and it was incredible. And, you know, you'd rock up to pitches and you'd have, you know, the big London agency, digital agencies there sort of laughing at the little Southampton shop turning up and we'd just walk away with the prize. Oh, it, was, so it was fantastic times. That's, that's great. That's great. I love, I love the, your, your career span uh, from pre, pre-social media to the mm. rise of programmatic and social media and how that, and how that has changed. And we might get into that um as we as we chat through um but yeah we we met at, at glue i think mark started and i sat next to him and that's how we became best friends uh and i think he he still says he threatened to fire me at some point at various points in the six months we worked together <laughs> I'm, I'm still not sure when i left whether he had anything to do with it but you know here we are still talking it's a great mystery of life a great mystery of life <laughs> great mystery of life <laughs> but um Ad talk is you're a big fan of ad talk. Uh, as you were saying pre pre recording, you'd like to talk along with us. So I did want to do a little ad talk with you um, uh, this week. So uh, do you have any ads you have thoughts on thoughts about? Ah, oh, damn it! Now now the spotlight's on me. It's a real tough one, and I knew this <laughs> yeah, was going to crop up. You just up, forget forget every single ad you've ever seen in your entire life <laughs> in the last six months and obviously it's super bowl sunday so there's a, there's a ton of of ads out there um which maybe we'll, we'll catch up on later i think one of the ones that stuck out this week um and i don't know oh i'm sure it would, it would, have, it would have hit um, america as well was the adidas sports bra ad have you guys seen that yes. one yes yes it's um I'll, I'll try and describe it as sensitively as possible they they've put it out on Instagram. Um, they put a massive poster on it on the side of their building. I think it's their their um, their headquarters in Germany, and it's forty three different photos of women's breasts, and it's you know it's talking around the fact of when body shapes are this diverse, why would we only design one sports bra? Um, and obviously with with Instagram, they've had to cover the, cover the nipples. You can't show a female yeah. nipple. It's fine to show a male nipple, but not a female nipple. And yeah. it's had a really good traction. A little bit of a you know, some people are loving it, some people are hating on it, which I think normally makes for a good ad. Um, but it's a powerful message. It's an interesting one dealt with 
and I'm amazed actually it's the first time it's been covered you know yeah it's you know that the the sports industry isn't you know it isn't you know brand new it's been around for a long time you would have thought that one of the one of the brands and one of the leaders would have tackled this a lot sooner than they have it's 2022 for god's sake but um i thought they've done a they've done a good job on that and and you know raising attention to it um in a in an interesting way that cuts through yeah i mean when 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 uh what's it the when you can get 87 different types of shorts to do all the different types of things and you know that's not really you know you don't need that many types of shorts um you know it's it's amazing that they've only just just mm. done this and just released it like you said um that is a good ad to have a thought on i thought i saw that over here i got shared and uh, one of our heads of social in where i work they were like there's a really great ad i can't link to it because it's slightly not safe for work but it's pinned to the adidas twitter page so went straight then it's it's just it's just a really powerful message done mm. quite controversially but yeah in a way that shouldn't be controversial absolutely i think it's probably part of the power of it isn't it's it? interesting that you just brought that up and i saw something like this take place actually in santa monica uh where there's a promenade with all the different kind of chain brands um and athleta which is a gap owned kind of athleisure athleisure yoga brand um they maybe a year or two years ago started putting uh, mannequins with all the different kind of shapes to them so um you know just reflect their their customers in you know wearing wearing mm. the the same the same clothes but just so you can see the um how it would look um on different body types and they were the only ones that had that in their window displays for like a year year and a half and only recently did lululemon and victoria's secret who are literally across the street start putting some of the same thing. So it takes, I think, like a bit of a renegade rebel, you know, brand to to maybe start kind of normalizing this before the big ones feel like it's not risky and it's not too risky for them to maybe follow. Yeah. And I just wonder, Isn't you know, it if, though, is if, it? If, if, you know, Adidas has seen some of the DTC or small arrivals speak about that enough where they've normalized it for Adidas to then make that push. It's crazy that, you know, it, you know, it's still, is it a taboo? It's still a sensitive area, isn't it? And, you know, Dove Real Beauty was however many, probably decades yeah, ago yeah. now, at least a decade and a half, I'm sure. And yet there's still this controversy of can you show a different body type, you know, when, and, and Christ, we do it in the agency world. We applaud ourselves when we put a diverse cast in and she's a slightly fuller body shape. Oh, look at how diverse we're being. Aren't we amazing? It's like, no, we're fucking not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, we're showing a real slice of humanity. That's what our job should be. Um, yeah. We shouldn't get pats on the back for, for, for such things. That's exactly right. Um, any, any Super Bowl ads that you've seen or the, uh, the, the new trend of leaking the ads uh, has, you know, anything that's come out, you know, most, most brands seem to be just, just pumping them out before just to try and get traction on the top 10 lists. Absolutely. Um, because it's not really about being in the Super Bowl anymore. It's just, it's being, it's saying that you've got a spot there so you can then say you've got a Super Bowl ad. Yeah, yeah. I th yeah, I don't think you can really call it leaking anymore. They're literally just pumping them out sort of two they like have a PR week beforehand. I remember they have massive PR. They, have a, um, they really do schedule this to go out properly. And then we're like, oh, it got leaked. 
someone um, far wiser than I, I remember sort of saying back in the day, you know, you shouldn't advertise the advertising and that's literally what the Super Bowl <laughs> spots need to be about. You just literally advertise your advertising. Um, I, had a, I had a flick through on, on you know, some of the sites that have brought them all together. It's weak source this year. There is not a lot of joy in that. Um, I think the one that continues to make me laugh just because from an outsider, and I don't think we get a lot of press over over here, the Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart one for Bic is again just a joy to watch. Mm. And I it feels seen like Snoop one yet. Oh, it's it's an, well, I mean, it's exactly what you'd expect, like you know, year two, yeah. year three, perhaps. And it feels like Snoop Dogg is the hardest working man in advertising at the moment. That one was served <laughs> to me, and then there was a Pepsi halftime show that yeah. he's part of over here in the UK. At least he's, and I know in Australia, he's the you know he does the he did the ad and he did the song for Just Eat. I don't oh, know right. if that made it into into North America as well. I don't um, think so the guy is just making bank and just doesn't care and fair play to him <laughs> good for him good for him yeah i um i um, watched a couple of ads so far and i agree i mean i i enjoyed i enjoyed the amazon alexa one with colin mm. jost and uh, scarlett johansson yeah uh, i i do wonder if they're filmed in the uk because it seems like amazon heavily relies on uk creative um for their i think that one was lucky generals wasn't it was it again Lucky Generals? Yeah, I think it was Lucky Generals. Um, yeah, so a lot know, of the U.S. Eat. stuff has been either with like English English VO or like English, like the one we talked about for Christmas, the one that ran over here. That was like English, you know, London council block type thing, and English VO, and it ran in the U.S. Okay. So it feels I don't, it's it's strange because you know they're an American company, if you can call it that now. But they seem to be developing all their creative out of the That's UK. Right. Seems to be a trend um, where like the global yeah. advertising by American tech companies is done out of the UK. Hmm. I got a, I got a question, Mark, for you. Um, I want to get your thoughts on this type of ad. You know, the one where the ad is borrowing a lot of IP from something, and then they insert the brand into it. So an example would be like the. I think it was Uber Eats and um, Wayne's World. Um, they like use all of the IP from a show or a movie or some like real life um, internet celebrity memes. So like the uh, like LeBron crying face or the Michael Phelps like angry face. Um, what do you what do you think about those? Um, I have thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts. Um, do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? Do you think it's really smart? Do you think it's really lazy? Where do you where do you stand on this like borrowing IP and uh, and these types of ads? Um, I know you've have, have thoughts because I remember the Wayneville <laughs> conversation from I think Superville last year. Um, I think it really depends on the uh, on the objective or, or, or the situation. The Wayne's World one is an interesting one, and I think it's probably it can get away with it more because they hammed it up within the show and certainly within the films. It was part of the, I guess, the, um, uh, the memory structures of Wayne's World is, you know, the, the Pepsi can would come on and he'd hold it perfectly to camera. So capitalising on that for advertising, there is, a, there is a basic and logical leap that is lazy. Um, it's, you know, from a pure advertising point of view, it lends and leans heavily on familiar memory structures and, and those memory structures that are probably um, fairly favourable and, and emotionally engaging 
its films, its memes, its celebrities. Um, so I suspect because of those things, it does really well in research. People, you know, it comes out top scores, people really like it, gets that green tick in the top quadrant. I've got a different point of view on advertising research, which will be a four-hour session <laughs> in its own right. Yep. Um, I think the problem with it is if you went and asked people what did they talk to me about the ads that you saw they would remember Wayne's World they wouldn't remember the brand they would remember oh it's that one that you know capitalized on the meme of x y and z so yeah. i think your your short your short changing yourself on probably brand metrics and probably sales metrics to to capitalize on on engagement and probably someone liking it on YouTube or giving it a thumbs up on Instagram or whatever it might be. Um, but I don't think you're doing anything that's really going to benefit your brand in the long term or probably even in the short term, if I'm honest. Because again, I don't think it's getting cut through from a brand level. It's getting cut through on an, on an enjoyment level with brand being very much second place. Yeah, um, you're not brand building. You're not, le- you're not using your own brand's messaging look and feel. You're leveraging the... The, the yeah the zeitgeist yeah, or the yeah. memory of something else and attaching yourself to it and i think the zeitgeist is i think that's a really good point to you know the best advertising borrows from culture or creates culture when you're stealing culture yeah. you're adding nothing really you know yeah. and you know i'm probably going to piss off some some creative colleagues who have used this format behind please do it's lazy mm-hmm. it's, it's it's lazy you know there is not a, you know, the brief comes in, we need to sell, you know, chips to Americans in front of the Super Bowl. Oh, I know, there was that scene in that film where that happened and let's just rip that off in its entirety and play it back to them and put our logo on the end. Well, you, you, that I, being I mean, said... You also, you also, you also sort, of, sort of risk stepping into a pile of shit like Pepsi did a few years ago with, um, with Kendall Jenner oh, and... Uh, yeah, the Jenner oh, fiasco. Right? You can... Is that um, the same though? Is I mean... I don't know. I mean, that was that was a big part of shit. <laughs> it's using the zeitgeist yeah. for sure. It's 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 borrowing from culture. It's not necessarily like copying the the movie yeah. or the TV show or the characters of a show, but it is it is borrowing from the zeitgeist badly. Um, it was like yes. I, I guess, oh look, generic every, ads anyway. Every, everyone's protesting at the moment. I've got an idea. Yeah. Let's get yeah. if only Pepsi could uh, could help. Uh, <laughs> um, I remember when that came out because that was an internal agency piece, wasn't it? And there was a lot of, of glee from agency folks rubbing their hands together, going, "That's what happens when you in-house it." <laughs> no one's got no one's got the bottle to stand up in front of the CMO and go, "This is a really stupid idea," even though they've all known it's a stupid idea, and nobody yeah. wants to make that spot. But that guy's literally paying your bills, mm-hmm. so you go, yeah, "Yeah, that's a great idea. Let's go ahead with that right. piece." Yeah, let's, let's do that. That's 100%. This is definitely not going to be really catastrophically bad. Definitely not. Uh, I think with, yeah, the, um, yeah. with the laziness, yeah. I've got to say, because and it only popped up, um, again, when I did this talk a few weeks ago, there is an ad from 1986, which is a frame-by-frame pastiche of Levi's laundrette. Um, and like you really would need to look incredibly close. It's got the same track, same hand. I don't think it's the same guy, but you know, a mirror image of the guy walking in, taking off down his jeans. And it's for a British brand called Carling Black Label. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, you know, cuts to the end where um, two guys on the other side of the laundrette go, um, I bet he drinks Carling Black Label. And one of them turns to me and says, um, no, he doesn't. He's left his, he's, what did he say? He, he, basically, he's left his underpants on. And they're sat there naked reading the, uh, the newspaper in the laundrette. <laughs> and it's, it's it, I mean, it's, it's literally ripped off the Levi's ads. 
the same track and yeah. everything. So if and I get you know, it's it's done so beautifully well that it works. It, it's sort of yeah. the continuation of the story. I feel like we've seen we've seen that attempted a few times uh, with Aviator Gen and the Peloton kind of debacle, right? Like what happens yes. what happens right after the thing happens. Um, when executed well, it can be really powerful because one thing's in the zeitgeist and like all of a sudden you're very cleverly adding to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, the the, um, the Peloton one with, with uh, Ryan Reynolds was, oh God, that guy's, he annoys me how good he is. <laughs> I, he's, he's uh, none of it would work if it wasn't him. None of no. the aviation gin, buying of the football club, the mint mobile. Could you imagine uh, someone like you know um dollar shave club like there, there were so many versions of that now without mm. like that charismatic person if someone not ryan reynolds tried to do that thing for mid mobile i think someone did recently for um was it a soap brand something like that or um anyway they did that like talking to camera type thing and it just mm. it just flopped big time because they were seeing people do it and like let's do that let's just copy it copy that whole style and then it'll work just like that and it doesn't and some, it, some, yeah. some, I mean, sometimes just... good advertising can only be done once and, mm. and, yeah. and yeah. you're not yeah. copy and paste it onto your brand like that's I think like, what, like no. the no, exactly. Old Spice you know that first Old Spice ad that they did is still very iconic and that's what mm. 10 years old and, they, and people still try and do yeah, that yeah. what's really interesting again um, going back to my old friend research and sort of <laughs> being within the the, the, the I get the health and grooming category, as it were, with, with some of the brands within PNG. When you show ads that um, that nod towards the Old Spice way in terms of its humour, it's played back to you almost verbatim. It's like, oh, that's just like Old Spice. Mm -hmm. It's it became a category mm -hmm. norm, almost it became a cliche. So you kind of need to go, okay, we're not doing that yeah. Um, yeah. because you know you, you you're you're not creating anything new. You're not creating anything that's going to get cut through. It's just, it almost gets disregarded because they think they've seen it before. They put, they put it on a shelf yeah. with, with that, yeah. Mm. Um, so we already mentioned this a little bit earlier in the show, but we are about to head into what is considered to be the biggest advertising weekend here in the US. It's the Super Bowl. Um, we talked a little bit about that. Every single type of ad you can think of will be played out over six hours and maybe we'll watch some football as well. Uh, what do you think the main difference is between UK and U.S. advertising. Alex and I touch on that around Christmas because Christmas is the big, is the Super Bowl of UK advertising. We think, but just kind of in general, conceptually, what is uh, the difference between the two, the two markets, the two kind of cultures? Um, I asked you can what say your what audience... you want. This is this is a safe space. <laughs> it's a safe space. I did ask what your audience profile was before we uh, before we went on, went on air, and I was I'm not sure I got a, a, a clear figure on how many US versus how many UK listeners. Um, it is fifty fifty. So okay, you're gonna offend. It's only gonna piss off fifty percent of the people, <laughs> which is fine. Um, of course it is. Um, you can't sit on a fence with these things. Um, there have been some incredible ads that come out of the US. You know, the Super Bowl in previous years, um, and probably for the not, not for the last few years, they're always good. They're entertaining. Um, I think North America does incredibly good, funny ads. Um, and, um, you know, th there's a wealth of celebrities which lend themselves into it. Probably more so, I mean, obviously we only ever really see the Super Bowl ads. We don't see a lot of, you know, your regular everyday ads. And they're chocked full of A-list celebrities doing something perhaps unexpected or something slightly different that you wouldn't expect from them. And that makes it interesting. 
it makes it fun to watch it makes it you know a, a moment in in culture that you that people lean into advertising you don't get that other than in the uk at christmas you don't get a lot of times in the year where people go oh i wonder what the advert's gonna look mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. yeah um that said i would say that us ads um have a uh, a tendency for um bluntness might not be the right word but they're obvious on the nose on the nose one plus one very equal very clearly equals a two there isn't a lot of nuance there isn't a lot of um i need to think about that and lean in and have perhaps a a second thought about what that might mean which i think the that what I think what British advertising does incredibly well is that nuance and that intelligence. It doesn't treat the audience as, and I'm not saying the US does this, careful, careful Mark. Careful, Mark. doesn't treat the audience as careful. an idiot. <laughs> it, it allows them to put the, you know, put the pieces together and go, I get what that brand's talking about. I get what they're saying. I get and I understand why they have a place in my home or in my life. Um, and I think when that is done well, the storytelling becomes richer because it's not so obvious. It's not so logical always. And that's obviously a, a huge generalization. Um, and I think when I think of the broadness of US work, it isn't, it doesn't have that nuance to it. Mm. Is that fair? You guys see a lot more new North American ads than I do. I think that's pretty fair. I think for me, there's like two types of US ad, and this is generalizing a lot because it's not all like this, but it's like humor, funny, slapstick. Mm. And there's always like a, a button at the end, which is, you know, a joke. Or yeah. there's the exact opposite, which is like the super serious, melancholic music. We're changing the world. You're on this journey. This is hugely emotional. And you know, there's not a lot in between. And it's, it's you know, if you watch the Super Bowl, it's like the big car ads uh, driving through the desert, huge smoke. And, you know, this is a father-daughter moment and something terrible has happened to them in the past and they're reconciling because, you know, I don't know, Pontiac has uh, released a new car or something. I don't know. Um, or there's like the, the Samsung with, um, was it Paul Rudd? You couldn't say Super Bowl. It was like El Plato Supremo. And it's like every word to say the big game other than the big game. And it's like, there's like those, those two things. And I think, you know, the, the UK work, and maybe because it's a smaller country with fewer different types of people, uh, you're hitting fewer areas. You can be more focused on specifically English or British culture and uh, that type of advertising. But it's, it's, and, the, and then I might piss off some people here, but it's almost like it needs to be clever for the sake of being clever sometimes. There's like a hat on a hat. It needs, it can't just be this thing. It needs to be this thing and then it needs to be different. Mm. And there's no real reason why it has to be different. You know, and again, massive generalization because there are some amazing ads from, from both places. But the English is always like, all right, you've got to this place and you can just see, you can just see the creative directors in this meeting and being like, all right, that's too obvious. Like, keep going like obscure it one one more layer keep keep pushing it keep pushing it and you get to like this place where you have the idea and then it's like twisted into something else and then it's like clever to be clever so that they can be in the pub and be like did you see how clever our ad was it's pretty good (laughs) it's pretty good um it's like you know and i'm 
being mean for both sides but yeah it's i do think that there's the that for me is the main difference like the uk advertising has has like a quirky funniness to it that's more subtle um mm. and there's a really good uh stephen fry uh segment it's like six minutes long he's doing like a uh talk somewhere and it's like the differences between the tv like TV. comedy in the uk and comedy in the us that that describes for me the difference between the uk and us advertising like one is the baldrick and the black adder and one is like the chandler from friends like one line zingers and there's like the the sort of the difference in comedy styles and i think that for me summarizes like the different types of advertising between the us and uk you know if we uh, i think the stephen fry piece is a good is a good one um and and that that level of humor that change and, and you know i guess it's interesting and probably telling that you know advertising so frequently plays on that on that funniness on that level of humor um it also makes it it's also what makes it hyper local um yeah. and why ads sometimes don't you know translate or, or travel too well is because you know they're, they're written for an audience and the audience get it and they they understand it whereas yeah. someone elsewhere is just yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. We, yeah. uh, an ad written for the UK is different to France, and the same as an ad written for the coasts is different from the Midwest. Or, but we had a we had a guest on last week, Alex. Remember <laughs> from Sweden, uh, and we were talking I about remember. you know you know Sweden produces a lot of brands, global brands, uh, relative to its size, and he brought brought up this interesting point that um, all of these brands kind of like they sterilize themselves to an extent because they have to make one creative that appeals to all of the markets they are in and they took all the Swedishness out of it. But Visit Sweden mm. made this, uh, made this um, ad now with where they're using kind of the global stature of Ikea, but they poke fun at it yeah. to really draw attention to, so to, to itself. And he said the thing that that ad had that the other ones don't is the humor. And it's the humor that's very specific to Sweden and what uh, the Swedish what Swedish advertising used to be full of before it became so global by nature um and i think it's a very rare very rare moment when you're able to leverage your kind of national humor in a way that it is understood globally and visit sweden was able to do it because again they're sort of exploiting the globalness of ikea to draw uh to draw attention to something that is very very local um it's hard it's hard to do it's just incredibly hard to do you either make it relevant to the local market or you have it to me. You have to make it very bland so that the rest of the world sort of understands it. Yeah, absolutely. I think Sweden do that incredibly well. I think the visit, yeah, the the recent IKEA work, the the telephone one that I think ran the year before, or maybe and probably even longer than that now with COVID. Um, Tourism Australia, they always do heavily Australian ads that. You know, and quite frankly, if you don't like them, you don't get them. Don't go to Australia. <laughs> so I think there is an element of if you're not going to like this, you're not going to like Australia, guys. Yeah. Don't bother coming. It's like a self-selecting tool there. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, so I wonder if there is an element when when you when you come to your your national tourism ads, you kind of got to lean on what 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 makes you you. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the tourism ads for for England are like. They don't. They're not the same caliber as the uh, Sweden one or the Australia one. The ones that I've seen are very much like montage of London, some rolling hills, and yeah, it's not. Great. Visit Britain is okay, Visit Britain I've... is a very different entity, though I have to say, than uh, than the rest of these tourist tourist entities. It's like it's so commercially focused, and like they 
bring in so many different like national champion brands into the fold that i mean it's, yeah. it's an i mean i'm sure mark you you know them well uh, but well, no, no actually i was going to say um i don't think I've, i can't recall a visit for an ad um obviously because they don't target me um but I, I was literally going to go with you know there's here's a scene of you know the quintessential london scenes and and then the rolling hills and then here's the cotswold village and i can i can hear probably a wordsworth poem over the top of it and some <laughs> some um some classical music that's right um, which just again, using the phrase again, it's a weak source, <laughs> but it's what it's what it's what people want to see. Is is you know it's it's the, and again, forgive my uh, it's you know, it's the it's what we get when we talk to Americans about coming to the UK. Yeah. Oh, I, I live in London. Oh, do you live near the Queen? Is yeah. do you live in a castle? So we're going to show you what you want to see in our ads. Give the people what here. they want. Yeah, it's the same with the Visit California ads in England. Oh, yes. was, before I went to California, it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger Surfing. in a, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like someone skating on Venice Beach and it's someone surfing and it's someone driving a car in Malibu and it's someone mm. in one of the theme parks. And it's, you know, it's, it's always sunny and it's all these like famous California people. And you're like, yeah, okay, I'll buy into that. I'll go, I'll go to California. Sure. Yeah. Why not? It works so much. I moved there. um all right i'm gonna i'm gonna let's 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 pivot a little bit um in our in our prep for this mark you told us about all in wood system one and the death of creativity and this is a this is a book you're reading right now that i know uh exactly it's called lemon you're holding it up and it's a picture of a brain and i know exactly zero things about this and you said it was very interesting and very good. So I'd like for you to tell us why you think it's interesting. Um, 1500 word essay, please, double spacing. Um, but, but, you know, as we were trying to uh, come up with the topics here and you know, talking about advertising, there are differences between advertising. You're like, I've been reading this about creativity mm. and it's really interesting. I think, you know, as we have been talking through, you know, weak source for a lot of these ads, where do you what have you learned from this from this book and are applying to your day-to-day work or even you know day-to-day life (laughs) day-to-day life um so i've been lucky enough to um so orlando wood works for a company called um system one um who given my previous comments um interestingly enough is a research agency um your favorite and my favorite (laughs) um and what they've done is a deep dive into um, the highest performing ads from an awards perspective. So what are those can winners? And I think they go back about 20 years, maybe even longer. Um, And they look at them for, you know, what made them award winning? What made them great? Um, And then they also look at a similar period of time over the ads that are most effective. So ones that have won IPA effectiveness awards or any effectiveness awards. And it's across actually North America and 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 the UK as well. Um, and what he what they go on to talk about is what has what they sort of term sort of the 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 death of creativity in advertising, which sounds fairly grandiose. But then actually, when you look at some of the adverts that have gone out in the last decade, you you probably can see it. Um, and the the the. I guess the empirical evidence is the more creative the work, the more right brain the work is, um, the more engaging it is, the more cut through it has, 
the more we remember it and the more we react to it in a positive manner versus work that is very left brain, which is a lot flatter. Um, a lot of what they talk about is sort of no real human interaction. So you see a hand come in and grab something. You'll hear um, um, heavy drum or, or a beat-based music without melody, words flashing on a page or flashing up on the screen with, you know, reckless abandon sometimes. And what's really interesting is, is when you look at some of the work that they talk about being created from a left brain point of view, you're like, that's the guidelines that Facebook gave us. Yeah. That's the guidelines that YouTube gave us to tell us these are the ads. These are how you write ads to get cut through. These are how you write ads to get a memory after five seconds or a thumbs up or a, someone not skipping you know, straight away mm -hmm. after it's been played. Whereas all the ads that have come before, all the ads that have built brands that continue to build brands both on a long and a short term are more right brain. They tell a story, they have a narrative, you, you, you have an interaction, a conversation between people. Interestingly, they, um, he talks a lot about um, right brain ads using uh, regional accents as part of their makeup um, and having you know, melodic music that plays, probably plays a part within the storytelling as well. Um, and it's it's sad and, and kind of depressing um, that the things that we've somewhat been taught in inverted commas by these advertising platforms is killing what made advertising great, what made advertising effective. Great advertising when it works is interesting and it sells products and builds brands. Yes. When it do, that's when it becomes a, you know, when, when people say they're, they're sick of advertising, they're sick of, sick ad, they're sick of bad advertising. Yeah. You know, same with anything. If, if, if things continue to be bad, you get sick of it, whether it's your local sports team or whatever, or films or whatever it might be, your, your soap on TV. When it's great, it's great, and you lean in and, 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 and you love it and you, and you almost seek it out, like, like the Super Bowl, I guess. And interestingly, actually, I guess the Super Bowl ads, more often than not, are those right-brain creative storytelling moments. I wonder around effectiveness, but um, I don't have the stats around that. Um, and the, the, the evidence that he talks through um, and the way that he puts it forward, he's got, uh, I think he's got about like a 20 minute video on the System One website, but I think also on the IPA website. It's just fascinating. And, and it takes it beyond advertising as well. It, it talks about it through, through culture and um, through Renaissance arts and, and how this shift happens um, on a broader level, because funnily enough, advertising isn't the be all and end all of our world. Um, and it, you know, it goes back to the shift from these hyper-realistic paintings to these very flat paintings that came, I think, after the Renaissance. My, my history isn't always the best for these things. Um, and you literally do see this shift from, my God, that, you know, that um, Titian or the, um, that, that painting could have been a photo. And then it flips almost somewhat overnight over the course of a few decades, where it's this flatness. And you see it a lot within um, sort of religious paintings. And suddenly the, the size of the person in the centre denotes their, their power or their, or their, their, um, their standing uh, in the world at the time. Um, anyway, it's, it's a really fascinating read. And I think anything that touches ac across how our brains work, the psychology behind what we see and how we interact with it, and the impact and levers we can pull as marketers, marketeers, um, I think it's too easy not to to keep up on that stuff, you know. You kind of learn your craft, you get on with it, and you kind of 
just do it so there's, yeah. with a level of instinctive, instinctiveness over time. Mm. But I think it's really important to, to, to read up on this and, and try and nudge and steer work away from falling down the cracks mm-hmm. of um, an abyss of mediocrity. Do you, do you think that the rise of programmatic or biddable media and the ability to do a lot of very, very good hyper-targeting at relatively low cost has meant that creative is more disposable and almost less valuable where you just need to put stuff out and if you get the frequency right, if you get the impression count right, if you are in, you know, you're talking to the right people because you've got your targeting right, it's less about the how good the ad is. And this is, you know, and when you're doing like performance media, it's about selling stuff. Like, and you can get the sales through um, versus like, it's kind of like a two two part question, but compare that to like the cost of one 30 second Super Bowl ad means it's much more valuable and you're like well we're not just going to throw that 30 seconds away we're going to make something really 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 good so that we're making the most of the the two and a half million dollars we're spending for 30 seconds and like the 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 difference and the much less targeting much more expensive therefore much higher perceived value therefore more effort has to be put in and do you think that the sort of the rise of that programmatic biddable media has made it much more commoditized you don't have to try as hard with with advertising because you can just get in front of the same people so much so many more times and the right people so you can spend less money broadly and just focus it on people and then eventually they'll see the ads enough and they'll buy it this is a very and it's like and this isn't about brand building this is about you know storytelling but that's what i was that's that's where my head went when you were talking about the um your your overview of the you're that thinking um i think if we think about programmatic from a pure digital media point whether it's desktop tablet or mobile versus i guess dco of you know dynamic film it can be lowest common denominator you know i know i'm targeting you know two guys sat on the west coast of you know of, of california or actually no, you're in portland oregon but um, you know, I, I can hit you enough with with meaningful message, with messages that I think are going to be you know resonate with you. And if I do that enough, when it comes time to you know to buy a, a new phone or a new set of headphones, maybe I'm front of mind. Yeah. I think arguably, um, it's wallpaper. I think you know just because we can target someone you know so so specifically and so frequently. I don't think frequency is necessarily the, 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 the gift there. I think it can become the problem. Um, I think that's, there's two sides. I mean, that's, that's one part of a brand's job. If I'm spamming you with messages around a product that I think you'll be interested because you look like, you look like someone who buys our product, that's fine. If I don't know who you are as a brand, I don't care. And I think that's the difference. And I think that's sadly what we've lost or somewhat overlooked, which is, I think you guys might have touched on, touched on this last time or a couple of episodes ago. Um, and I'll, I'll get the, 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 the line wrong, but it was along the lines of sort of um, marketing is asking them out on the date, brand is why they say yes. So mm-hmm. if, if I don't care about you as a brand, 
why would I care about that ad you keep putting in front of me? In fact, you yeah. just become a, nuisance, a nuisance. If I know as a brand you talk to me, you you have similar values as a company that I might, and I'm not talking about sort of necessarily brand purpose in, in that respect, but as a brand, you will reflect the person of me that I want reflected, then your programmatic will work so much more hard than if, if, you, if you're starting from nothing. I think there was, um, there was a, I can't remember who said it, I think it was one of the Bs of BBH, um, but it was, you know, it was along the lines of, if, if BMW stopped advertising its cars, people wouldn't buy it within, I think it was like within five months, I think it was being slightly um, uh, grandiose with this, within five months, people wouldn't buy a BMW anymore because its badge value is lost. It, su it suddenly doesn't say anything mm -hmm. about me. And, yep. you know, I can target a bunch of people with a BMW ad, but if my neighbour isn't seeing a BMW ad, if my potential girlfriend or future wife isn't seeing a BMW ad and knows it's a good car, I'll, spend, I'll buy a VW or I'll buy something else. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's more the um, effectiveness and creativity that Orlando Wood talks about within sort of the, um, the lemon work. Yeah, I think, I think also it's the, the rise of the D2C brands and being able to sell through e-commerce and, uh, and being able to get access to, to programmatic and, and social and biddable media. You're able to do that mid-funnel and predominantly low funnel conversion advertising very, very effectively mm. without having to build a brand. And I think people will see the success of the DTC and not have to do as much brand building, which is very much the opposite of what they should be doing is build a brand so people want to buy the product and then sell them the sell them the ad, sell them the product in the ads. But we, we, we talk about that. We talk about that a lot too. I mean, I feel like uh, those DTC brands, the successful ones, end up backing into having to do brand advertising. Yeah. None of them, like look at Allbirds, right? All of them yeah. ultimately end up having to to do the things that the big, big boy brands have been doing forever. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's a misnomer that you're just going to jump into the bottom of the funnel and win the day. Like it's... Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't it's, agree with you more, Gorsha. I, th yeah. I, I, I think to, it's... You have to do that brand building. And, but and I think they do it smart. They do it smartly. You know, yeah, yeah they're, not, they're not doing it as a 30-second spot in the middle of Coronation Street in the UK or the office in, back in the day in, in, in America. But they build their brand in a way that talks to, you know, an audience that has either been forgotten about or is dissatisfied with the, you know, the, the category that the D2C is going after. And they do it through, you know, clever use of influencers or targeting through YouTube or Instagram or whatever it might be. But they definitely build a brand because there's so many cookie cutter um, other D2C brands out there trying to steal their lunch. I was also thinking it's, it's, it's fascinating, you know, having been the digital guy moving into a traditional shop, you know, and, you know, for years I talked about, you know, the death of advertising and the future's all digital. It's interesting how many of those D2C brands who are pure play digital brands then go and advertise on TV to build their business, yep. to grow their business, to, yep. to get that next step in the investors, you know, um, go, uh, go and stage. buy those billboards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's not just TV, you know, I, I look at like Deliveroo, Uber Eats, um, all of those apps and businesses that are 100% digital base, 
but they 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 still push heavy and push hard on on what is inverted commas traditional media. Yeah. Um, yeah, they got they got like what you said, they got to back into that brand brand building exercise to to differentiate. You know, when you've got mm-hmm. uh, here, you've got what is it? Uh, Uber Eats, Postmates, Caviar, uh, DoorDash, DoorDash, and they're all they're all competing. They're all doing the same thing. You know, they may have some differences on how they treat their staff and whether they're you know full time employees versus uh, the um, gig Sarah. economy typing. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're all doing the same thing. So you have to build those brands. They can't just rely on install. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Mark, though, um, just, just your perspective. I, I'm thinking back to some of the more iconic um, campaigns that I can think of. You know, I, you, you, we've talked about um, some of those earlier, but I feel like companies were um, companies whose brand campaigns we remember, like British Airways, when they said the world's favorite airline. Mm-hmm. It's a fairly bold statement to make. And the and the experience that you're promising has to sort of live through the product. And, um, you know, they tie in what you're seeing on the screen with the onboard music. And like back in the day, mm-hmm. I think people sort of aligned the two. And um, HSBC, when they went with the world's um, local bank campaign, you know, there was a consistency that you would expect, you know, McDonald's, Nike, etc. I'm wondering if brands um, increasingly are not trying to connect the product experience to what they're talking about in advertising, especially maybe some of the newer brands. Um, if is the, Are they bold enough now to make a statement that they are going to be the world's favorite airline and see that live all the way through to the product experience because it is so freaking hard to do, right? Like it's much easier <laughs> to have a zeitgeisty ad that people laugh about, but you're not really promising a whole bunch there that, uh, that we have your companies entire kind of orientation change towards living up to that promise i think it's a really good point gosha and i think what those examples that you've touched on were campaigns that permeated the dna of those businesses i think what we've got to now i think the last again my wife laura hates this i, I say stats with such confidence that she said she's like is that stat right and I, was like, I don't know i think it's right um, I think the average ten, tenure now of a CMO is, is less than 18 months. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's literally a revolving door. You go in, you fire the agency because that's the first thing most CMOs do when they come in. You tell, you know, you, 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 you tell them what they've been doing wrong. You come up with a new campaign, which takes 12 to 18 months to create. You haven't even seen the results before you're walking out that door again. And then rinse and repeat yep. and rinse and repeat. And I think we've lost... You know, the reason that, you know, the nation's or the world's favourite airline worked was it was statistically true, which obviously allows them to say it. Um, and um, and they kept saying it. And the same with, you know, the world's local bank and all of these things. That, again, that going back to those memory structures, you drum that beat, you know, you hit that drum hard enough and long enough, people believe it. And I think there is an element of if you believe it because you've heard it enough, you almost, and again, I'm, I'm, I might be wrong with this, I'm probably wrong with this, you almost seek the validation for yourself when you're going through that experience. Oh, that was lovely. She was very polite to me. Um, she did put the napkin on my, on, my, on, my, on my lap when I sat down for, for dinner on the flight and I had an extra fluffy pair. Now, BA's got other issues, far, far other, more <laughs> other issues than, uh, than, than that, or it has in the last few years. Um, but I think... Um, 
I think the problem we have is the the disposable nature of what a company is saying about itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the great companies say something, say it well, and keep saying it, and they don't pivot on a dime every time something changes or the wind blows. Um, I'm trying to think of. Sort of I think Nike is a perfect but, example where uh, oh God, people yeah, right? think, oh, like you know. Other brands try to jump into a conversation that Nike has the right to be in, like what they did with Kaepernick, because they spent decades um, yeah. being in that space. And you earn that equity and consumers see through that. Like they understand why Nike is speaking about that. And a lot of newer brands or brands that aren't thinking as long term are trying to take shortcuts into that. And you just don't have the you don't have the right to be in part of the conversation. Oftentimes you haven't earned you it. No, absolutely. And it's it's one of the biggest. Oh, okay, let's go with this. Um, I guess I need to caveat all of this conversation of these thoughts are my own and and are not part of any employer or client's <laughs> thoughts. These are just Mark Reese Reedon's ramblings. One of the biggest frustrations I have is when you share work with the client and they say, "But any brand could say that. Our competitor could say that." My pushback is, "But they're not. We're giving you something. If they were saying it, we wouldn't have put this ad in front of you." They're not saying it. We know through audience, we know through research, we know through insight, your audience cares about this. Start saying it, say it regularly. Don't stop saying it until people align your brand with whatever it is that you want to talk about and then keep saying it again and again and again. You know, Adidas could have said, just do it. They just didn't. Right. <laughs> and, and, Nike, <laughs> and Nike went and ran with it. You know, all of the, you know, Red Bull gives you wings. Those horrible other you know sugary drinks could have said something similar they just didn't right. and they haven't stopped saying it in fact i'm not sure even sure they say it. no no they still do say it, don't they um but this is the you know any brand could say it yes you're right any brand could say it but no one else is and if you say it well and you say it with cut through and do it enough people will only associate you with that thing that matters to them that's a that's a very good point um and I think the role that agencies play in partnership with clients, with brands to um, bring that to the front is very critical. So I think here we sort of enter our final kind of blitz session where we throw a few questions at you and you can respond quickly and not quickly, up to you, um, on how to be a good, uh, how to have a good client agency relationship. And I think Alex, you have your first first question there. Yeah, you're, a, you're, a, you're an agency man uh, as, we, as we used to be. Uh, but I think I think you, you know, as you as you said, you're you have a, a storied career. You you have some nuggets to nuggets to drop for us. Um, what do you think clients care about most from account teams, and and then sort of as an extension of that, the agency. Um, what do they care about most? Um, I think it's a good question. They want to know we care. I think, and I think that's something that I've, I've, I've done and built up over time is it's not enough that they're just paying us money to deliver results for them. Obviously, the results matter. They want to know you care about their brand and their business as much as they do. And them as well. It's, it was, you know, it's all very well sitting down with your, you know, your, your lead client at the start of the year and saying, you know, what are your business objectives? I think you also need to go, what are your objectives? You know, where, you know, what do I do to make you famous, either within the halls of the business that you already work in or within the category that you're in or within the next step that you want to take? 
And I think that empathy and that emotional intelligence of caring about their business and them as humans is why they stay with us mm -hmm. as long as you're delivering the job as well. The two go hand in hand. So how, then how do you make sure that your clients aren't just sort of happy in the moment? Um, like by doing what they say, but satisfied. Uh, I think, I mean, you're starting to kind of un unpack that a little bit. You, is it appealing to the personal kind of motiva motivations or is are there other things that an agency person should really keep in mind as they are building that rapport and relationship with, with mm. their client? Um, one of the things I, I, I tell sort of my folks is that no is not a dirty word. There's this horrible misconception yeah, let's go with this there's a horrible misconception in agency land that suits are there to be the yes men that's a bad suit that's a bad account manager yes. i say no to my client probably more often than i say yes but it's a no but or a no because mm -hmm. or a how about yeah. so it's never a flat no we're not doing this but if they come with them to me with a stupid idea or stupid timings or ridiculous budgets <laughs> i'm going to tell them and I'm going to do that in a way that they understand because I've built that relationship with them, that I'm doing it for their best interest. Um, I remember um, I won't name agencies or clients, but there was a time, you know, a client was coming to, to, to us um, to, to, to implement something. I'm trying to do this as tactfully as possible. And it was such a left field request. It made zero sense. This was a really smart client. She knew her stuff. She knew her industry. She knew her brand. And we were just butting heads. They were adamant we were going to do this thing. And so I walked down the road and, and said, look, we've got to have a coffee. So luckily it was, the client was just around the corner. And I said to her, what, you know, what is going on? This isn't you. And it was, my boss has told me I need to deliver this as part of my objectives. Um, and I was like, but it's madness. You know this, don't you? <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is absolutely, you know, this is ridiculous. It's not going to move the needle. We're going to spend money on it. And it's, but it's got to get done. I was like, cool. All right. I know that now. I understand. So, you know, you have that no. Ah, okay, I get it. I'm not going to push back on this. This isn't our hill to die on. We're just going to get this done for you because it's going to be there for the long run. And I think um, that, under again, it comes down to the understanding of the client, the understanding of the in individual, the category. Right. Read up on, mm -hmm. you know, I think I did a talk um, with some like new starters, or like potential new starters. Be interested and be interesting in your industry, yes. mm -hmm. in your clients, in the category. And it's too easy just to go, well, I've done the day job and I've delivered that campaign. It's like, yeah, but have you read up on this? And do you know the latest on X, Y, or Z? Um, and it's really frustrating when people are like, I just don't have time. It's like, no one has the time. But hopefully if you're in this as a career, if you're in this as a profession, find it, you know, keep, keep reading, keep, keep knowing more than the next person. The, the, the best uh, account people, strategy people, and creative people and clients are the ones who love the, the sector. So people who love technology you know, will be on Reddit and subreddits who will be like, oh, that, that's a really interesting thing. Maybe that's mm. something that we should be thinking about for whatever it is. Or people who love cars are always aware of the latest car trends or what yeah. people care about when they're looking at cars. And people who don't just say, like, what is it? What's the reason to believe? throw that in the ad job done next next brief please and yeah i mean i, th I think the, not trying to put words in your mouth but the the trust between your client and your agency not just the account person but the creative or the strategist and or the strategist um that 
they have your interests at heart or they you trust them to give you the right information and they trust you to deliver on that it's like you're oh i understand now why uh you are pushing on this thing they trusted you to with with that information and then mm -hmm. you trusted them that that wasn't going to be a you know a silly thing to do so it's like yeah. and if you don't have that trust if the client doesn't trust the agency and then the agency doesn't trust the client you're just going to be delivering you'll deliver the work and that is it yeah and there'll be nothing that's going to go above and beyond uh we have one more question one more question um kind of off the back of that is this is uh do you think most agencies have the client's business at heart or is it about winning pitches for egos and awards and for those that for <laughs> agencies that do that uh as their mo does that give a bad rap to other agencies who really do care about the brands or the people who work at agencies who do care about clients and care about brands oh awards mm. Mm. um a, yes, awards. Oh yeah. a quote i had um heard a, a while ago was um and I, and I and i stand by this and i think it, it's so wise um awards should never be the objective they should be the inevitable conclusion mm. and i think that was mm -hmm. just bling, genius and i wish more agencies believed in it um of course every agency wants to win an award every agency wants that you know titanium lion or pencil or whatever it might be um i think it's interesting with the exception of, of of the few you know sort of massive clients so um they don't know they don't know our awards they don't care about our awards yeah. you know i remember winning um a can lion for um for brown for um their brand rejuvenation and you know we dropped them an email about it you know so obviously the, the, the senior leadership team knew we were doing it and we won the awards i think we got a gold and a couple of bronzes so we emailed the entire client team about it I th and you know it was it was a big team um, at P and G. The number one email I got back was "What's a can?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, these, the, the, you know, there were a few, you know, you know, just out of master's school, you know, grads, yeah. but these were seasoned business directors and business managers. What's a can? What? Why? Yeah. Why are you happy about this? I don't understand. And I think that's that's telling. Um, and I think one of the things that we're guilty of as an industry is navel gazing our own awards yeah. versus thinking about um, if you work on an FFMCG food client, perhaps don't enter a can, enter the Grocer Awards, which is a magazine in the UK about sort of mm -hmm. grocery, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, that's how you get a very happy client because they're famous in their world. You know, yep. and if you get, I, I often talk about sort of debits and credits that we have with our clients. If you have a stack of credits, you can have a chat with that, that client and go, would you mind if we did this little piece of work that's going to win us an award over here? I'm going to need you to spend some money over here for, for a day so it's eligible. Um, I'm giving away all the secrets. Um, God, you're, do, you're doing chip shop ads. Mark, I thought you were better ads. than that. <laughs> um, but I think, again, um, the award side of things is, is, a, is a complicated beast within the advertising industry. The more awarded you are, the better the creatives you get. The better the creatives you get, the better the clients you get. The better clients you get or the better creatives you have, the more pitches you win. The more pitches you win, the, you know, it, it almost comes one after the other. 
um, because you know it might not be a big thing on on a lot of the um, uh, brand f uh, folks fronts, but you can bet your bottom dollar. You know, procurement when they're looking at that list of, of rostered agencies or to, to invite to pitch are going to have a look at who's who's the most awarded and you know who's the most yeah. creative and who's getting the most talked about because it, it looks good for their brand. So I think sort of winning pitches, it's there is an element of it. It's the lifeblood of of an agency. Sadly, um, I think annoyingly, if we spent slightly more time properly looking after our current clients, we might need to pitch less. But yes. there is always the shiny thing over the corner that you want to go and have a punt at. Um, it's and the, I think it, it's the uh, jumble of letter agency over there is pitching for it. Therefore, we must also pitch for it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you you said all agencies want to win awards and then followed up with most of the clients don't know what the awards are and the navel gazing of the advertising awards i having worked at a creative agency and a media agency and now at a client it's very interesting how the the value of those awards change between the different types of organization you're in i think now if someone said to me we want to make this brand ad because we think it will win an award. I would have a very tough time trusting them ever again because, or even even them wanting to enter an award with the work or, or putting that in the same sentence because it, it would feel to me like they don't have my business objectives at heart if they mm. want to try and enter that into an award. If at the end of it, and they're there, and I, I'm not saying I, I've experienced this, this is what I imagine my reaction would be, we've agreed on a great idea. It, you know, we've made it. We're all really happy with it. And they said, "Can we enter this into an award?" Mm. I'd be like, "Yeah, sure. Hell, go for it. Why not?" But then I'm not. I don't. I don't really care if it wins or not because it. The the award being won is not is not in itself going to move my my brand or it's not going to get bums and seats necessarily. But <laughs> literally in your case, um, in my case, yes. However. And nice segue back to our friend Orlando Wood. Yes. He would argue that the most awarded creative work is also the most effective. So I think, and again, using that quote, it shouldn't be the objective, but it should be the yeah. inevitable conclusion of the work. I, I agree. If, if an agency comes in and says, we've got your brief, we've gone through all of the work, here's the work you should buy because it's going to win an award, that's a bad agency. It's yeah. here's the work you should buy because it's going to deliver over and above against your KPIs. Um, it's, you know, we, you've never seen anything like this before. It's X, Y, and Z, you know, da, da 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 And by the way, we think this has got the potential to be an award-winning idea. But that has to be the dot, dot, dot at the end, not the yeah. thing that you lean on. Yeah. I'm, I've been listening a lot to, the, to this conversation and, 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 and taking a view of someone who is, um, who is just kind of in between your your guys's uh, you know thoughts on this and I think I think the conclusion I draw from 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 this interview from this show is advertising especially now is sitting at the nexus of of so many things it's techno it's technology it's um, it's creativity it's um, cultures because it's global by nature um, ton of money obviously uh, celebrity it's it's just there's a lot there's probably more smushed into the world of advertising now than maybe in, into any other industry, um, and it's it's it is what moves a lot of our commerce and a lot of our everyday life. And I think there are people who are 
in who can call themselves marketers, but their remit is programmatic or finance or coordination of global teams. And there's very, there are very, very few who sort of have a very holistic kind of understanding and appreciation of um, of what really is the North Star of quality advertising. And Mark, I think you are in that position and you're reminding us that really it's having the, the interest of the clients at, at the center and having that as a strong relationship. It's creating that room for creativity and uh, not relying on um, the levers and widgets that you know Facebook and YouTube are giving us and saying that's the easy way to go about things. And it's being comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? Whether it's conversations with the clients, whether it's with taking risks on what the creative mm -hmm. idea is. And if you do those, if you keep those as your North Stars and you do those things well, and you're the master of all of the other components that go into modern day advertising, you will be successful. But if you neglect that and you are thinking about you know, the bottom of the funnel and how to make Instagram mm -hmm. create the brand mm -hmm. for you, like, forget it. You're not going long term. This is not going to be a success. I think that's a, that's a good summation. Um, I think if, if we all could live a little bit more of that in our working lives, we'd be in a better industry, have happier clients, happier creatives. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amen to that. Well, thank you for joining us. This was insightful. This was refreshing and this was really fun. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to be um, part of this. Um, really enjoy. I, or that, do I enjoy waiting, waiting to listen to my own podcast? I'm not sure I do, but um, <laughs> I definitely. I'll, I'll, if, I'll, if, I'll, I'll put it on whilst I'm cooking in the kitchen. If your wife catches you having a conversation with you, I think it'll be very meta. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mark, why are you arguing with yourself? <laughs> well, at least at least you have this will be external this time. Yeah. Not, yeah exactly. Not internal. <laughs> oh, thank you guys. Thank you very much, guys. Really enjoyed this.